This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Ken Tripp. And I am Zach Moore. And what do we love talking about here, Ken, on Standard Orbit? We, talk, we love talking about lost episodes of the original series. Uh, our episode 205, The Lost Episodes. See, I did that. Some nice you even got call. the number, brother. I love it. It's within five. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, that that was a turned out to be a very fun, very popular episode that we had done, and uh, we're back because fortunately there are fortunately or unfortunately, I guess depending on how you look at it, there are a lot of episodes of the original series that were planned that never came to be. So we're going to talk about some more today, aren't we, Ken? We are, we are, and I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, when we did it the first time, reading the outlines for the first um, for the first go around, I thought was very intriguing to me. And of course, you know, it gets it gets all that energy going because you you think of with Discovery being back on and the um, the JJ verse still out there or the Kelvin timeline or whatever you want to call it still out there. This you know, there's so many episodes, so many movies or whatever, and, and people just keep coming up with new and creative ideas. And I think, you know, the fact that we're looking at episodes that were written 50 years ago or more or outlines of interviews, episodes that were written 50 years ago or more, some great concepts. And a lot of these things would still apply. And you can see where, you know, some of these things have been kind of bits and pieces have been taking from these concepts into episodes that we saw in TNG. So I, to me, it's a, it's it's a lot of fun to look through these, Zach. You did a, you did a great job finding these. Yeah, so today, you know, in, in TOS fashion, we're going to do things in threes. We, mm-hmm. I, I broke down the why we do it that way last episode. Also, you know, it gives us nice, concise conversation. We're not, you know, we don't want to bite off more than we can chew. We could, we could sit here for like three hours and <laughs> talk about all these if we wanted. But we're kind of breaking it up, the divvying it out, spreading it out throughout the throughout our schedule this year. So we're going to talk about three more episodes. Uh, episodes written by David Gerald, Gene Kuhn, Normal Spinrad, and John Meredith Lucas. So these are big TOS names. These aren't... Just nobody, you know, submit because you know once we uh, once we get get through a lot of these, I think we're going to start finding this random author who submitted this one outline that nobody liked or something like that. But we're still in the kind of legit original series writers at this point, 
Right, right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to diving in, talking it through, and then hearing what folks have to say on the Babel Conference once, once we get through it. And, of course, obviously, we'll be discussing some of the similarities that, that, that did get pulled from these, these concepts and, uh, and talk a little bit on how well they executed it. So, Ken, you want to start us off with our, our first episode and tell us what it's all about. Yeah, this is interesting. This one was called Bandy. Does that sound familiar? Hmm. Yes, yes. I think they, I think they pulled that out. They, they pulled a George George Lucas. They put that on the shelf and they dusted it off. <laughs> two years later, they didn't use it, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. I, I always think of the um, the folks in the very first episode of TNG, right? Weren't they Bandy? Yeah, the old Bandy City. The old Bandy City. Yeah. So anyway, so Gerald wrote this um, this story that um, that he came up with this idea of Kirk temporarily taking command of a of another starship. Uh, to investigate reports that the crew had gone lax, right? And that, uh, you know, did it need to be tightened up a little bit? Again, another concept I think we can talk about. Um, it, it's set aboard the Enterprise, and Kirk discovers that there's a mascot that was smuggled aboard by a, a crew member named Bandy, and it has uh, an empathic ability to cause sympathy for it. So um, Kirk, being Kirk, right, wants it confined so people can really kind of understand what it is. But it always gets out because of, you know, empathy towards a, a crew number n- nearby. And when one of the um, one of one of our dear red shirts dies, I assume, uh, because of a distraction caused by the animal, Kirk wants it off the ship. Uh, and then Bandy turns against Kirk. Uh, but Spock kills it. As he does. Kind of dramatic, right? <laughs> the crew snaps out of kind of their their lax uh, lax behavior. And um you know, it's you know, it's it's interesting, right? Because the the, the behavior of the crew led led Gerald to believe that Kirk temporarily commanding another ship where the problem really happens. It's just a very interesting um, outline, uh, and and I thought that uh, you know he he he'd play with it a little more. But uh, we do know, like I said before, we we do see the term again in a counter at far far point. So Zach, uh, I do I do like yeah. what he said though. He he said if if. Uh... That line had sold. If it had gone to actual uh, episode production, he would have come up with a better name than Bandy. <laughs> Which he ironically, yeah. he re- he reused it because he, you know, he was big time in, in early TNG. You know, the c- conceiving the show. If you guys have seen the Blu-ray sets, you know, he he's up there. He's in there with Robert Justin, DC Fontana, when Gene Roddenberry brought all these guys back from the original series. Right. He had a he had a big hand in early TNG, and he he's right there reusing it in the in the pilot in the counter five point for uh for those uh, aliens. So it's interesting that he's like, yeah, I'm gonna come up with a better name, but it's good enough for me to use. <laughs> in the eighties, so yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, Gerald's an interesting character in and of itself. Uh, obviously, Trouble with Tribbles is what would put him on the map, and he's written quite a few things since, you know, uh, here and there for different TV shows and so forth. Uh, and um, he he was obviously a big part of the first, I guess, two years of TNG, and he talks about it in Chaos on the Bridge, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's mentioned quite a bit as well in uh, in Nemechek's book. The, uh, the 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 TNG companion. So I I find that uh, you know he's he, he's very opinionated, very very strong on things. Um, he he's almost um, you know like one of those creative types that you can see has all these things flowing in his head, and he can get very aggressive or defensive depending on on what the uh, on the subject is. He's he's a very interesting guy, but he's obviously a um, an icon when it comes to Star Trek for coming up with with. 
I wouldn't say it's, you know, one of the top episodes, but probably one of the more, if not the most popular Star Trek episode uh, in, in history. Everybody knows now what a triple is, right? And that, that critter mm-hmm. has found itself throughout uh, all the different incarnations of, of Star Trek. But this concept, um, I think it's a great concept. I really do. I, you know, um, I think now, though, because of, of Discovery and, and we think of like the tardigrade and things, we just, you know, mm-hmm. Scott, Spock kills it. I mean, it's very direct, <laughs> right? And you're just like, well, it, it, mu- okay. it must be mirror Spock and it must be the, yeah, the twist you know, at the not, end, right? Not, not sent it back to its home or where it belongs or anything along that line. Just, just Well, it's it's interesting, you know, we, we, we joke about that and that's what the common, uh, again, that's what we do here in Center. We kind of peel back these like yeah. uh, uh, stereotypes of TOS, right? I think in early TOS, yeah, like you know, if you look at the Man Trap, the very first episode, they kill the monster and they move on, right? And that was right. typical, typical sci-fi. But then as Star Trek continued, I think the the next uh, best example of that is Devil in the Dark, which is 180 degrees on the other side. We're like, no, we need to understand this creature, even though it's not like us. Doesn't mean it's evil, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And that's kind of the Star Trek message that set it apart from like Lost in Space or or whatever, right? Where they like, oh, it's a monster, we got to kill it. Right. Uh, but so so I would understand if this was like you know before the show had come out and but this is like you know this is in the second season so you would think that uh they would have more established the difference here but uh, between okay look a, a normal sci-fi show a generic sci-fi show might find a monster and kill it but we on star trek we try to understand it and communicate with it and et cetera, et cetera. so it's interesting they went to like because i you guys are just laughing about spock kills it <laughs> it's just it's like oh okay because that's what spock does because even like um even in episodes like Cat's Paw, right? Like at the end, like the uh, the aliens are kind of dying, and Spock's like, "Oh, we need if we could, you know, study them for further use." You know, he doesn't want to see him die because he's a scientist first. You know, right? So yeah, he's not he's going to be the, the the first guy to advocate for uh, studying new life forms. But uh, as far as this goes, I, I guess I guess David Gerald has a thing for like creatures and stuff because if mm-hmm. you look at uh, Trouble Tribbles, you know, he does a BIM. Which, uh, one one day on the one of these on these on this sub series here, we'll talk about that because that was actually an animated series episode planned for TOS. You know, he, so it's got a creature that can like uh, disassemble and reassemble, and uh, the special effects budget was a big reason that didn't come to pass. And this is another one, and I, and I just try to think like how they would have translated this idea. I, I think of like uh, a little person like in a costume is what I think of. You know, because obviously you gotta you can't use like in a mobile prop or anything like a triple that's like the easiest prop ever right you get sound right. effects and furry balls right uh but this i'm, I'm thinking you like a you know kind of like a I, I i think this and i think about kiesner from the kelvin timeline that's kind of where my mind goes when i think about bandy do you have an image of what bandy might look like in your head when you when you read this episode i, I guess I, I i do it's it's funny it's like a cross between like the daggett from the original battlestar galactica <laughs> You know, the, the little mechanical dog. Oh, the dog. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It just, you know, it had the had the big eyes. It was very empathetic, you know. And I, I know there was a monkey that that was inside the <laughs> the, the Daggett costume. You know, I, I don't know how the ASPCA would do with that today, but mm. <laughs> anyway, um, it's it's just one of those. That, that that's what I don't know why. I just got, I just kind of picture a creature with with big, very empathetic eyes. 
um, creating mayhem, you know, that, that type of thing. So I don't know. And we also know, right, this is the, this is the layout, this is the concept. Once it goes through 15 different writers' hands mm. and, and Gene goes through it or whatever, I'm sure. <laughs> so I was going to say, once Gene Reimer gets all of it, it's going to be something totally different. So. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, at least just enough so he can get his name on it, right? So it was just yeah. one of those things where, uh, but, you know, as an outline, you know, there's, there's a lot to work with here. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Whenever you bring on, and it's a bottle show, it sounds like, right? So they, they, it's, yeah. they, I'm sure I'm sure that put it to the top of the pile. Oh, good, we don't have to go anywhere or do any <laughs> do any location shooting for this. So this would be prime episode episode three, season three material. Uh, but I you do know, like the uh, the concept though of Kirk going to another starship because I feel like it's lax, right? And you've got that that approach. I think is unique. All Star Trek fans love it when they show another starship. So he goes over there, finds this thing, and pulls it over to the Enterprise, which I thought was fascinating in and of itself. That's interesting. As a yeah. captain, he'd be doing that. Like if he was a Commodore or an Admiral, like you know we see in Star Trek Two, he's doing an inspection or something. I could see that. It, it was where I, I think maybe that was more justifying why the crew would get like turn against Kirk because people have a problem with that. I mean, see Star Trek Five, right? People have a problem with that, so they're like, okay. If if the Enterprise crew doesn't turn against them, maybe we put them on another ship. That makes explanation. So I feel like that was a kind of a reaction to criticism that necessarily can part of the part of the story. But but all that to say, I'm the first one who always says, "Oh, it's great to see another ship," even though the sets are exactly the same and the models exactly the same. We get to see another patch on the uniform, right, Ken? That's for I guess we for do. Yeah. Starship because that's canon because it's on screen, guys. <laughs> <laughs> saying all i hear about is cannons on screen what's not on screen and i hear oh no 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 that's a mistake on all those times we sell those patches that's those are mistakes anyway no, i just we, we love poking fun of that kind of stuff but uh, uh th- th- this story actually did come to uh come to light in star trek the manga which i was unfamiliar with i assume you were unfamiliar with as well ken mm-hmm. yeah i haven't heard of the manga so uh, this is something that came out in the 2000s actually uh, it was a tokyo pop uh, came out with it. It was a series of anthologies. It had three volumes um, from 06 to 08. Mm-hmm. And uh, David Gerald wrote a, this, adapted the story uh, for that format in the third volume of that. So this is, yeah, I had no idea. I'm not, I'm a graphic novel guy and, I like, you know, I enjoy comic books and whatnot, but I, I'm not really into manga. So I, I was 100% unfamiliar with this. So it's uh, it, it's interesting. We were talking about in our, our last episode on these last episodes, uh, the Joy Machine, you know. So it's interesting when there's a story concept that doesn't make it to the screen that gets adapted in another medium. So I think that's that, that that's cool that even though this we didn't see the story in live action, it did find its way into a, into a, a manga. So it can be appreciated and kind of assimilated that way. So if anyone's actually read Star Trek the manga, let us know in the comments. Uh, I, I assume more people would have read the Joy Machine novel than would have read the Star Trek manga. Because I mean, that's one of those things that even I didn't know exist. And I know... <laughs> I know pretty much most of the Star Trek stuff that exists. So, but hey, some of y'all out there have a have a believe it or not, I will admit it. Some of y'all have a greater Star Trek knowledge than myself. So, if y'all have read the manga, please uh, let us know and let us know what you thought of a uh, story and how they translated it over there. With our listeners, a slam dunk, man. There'll be there'll <laughs> be a bunch uh, that'll be able to talk to it. There's there's no doubt, and and I love it too because they always like, yeah, this is what they did with it. And you go, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Are we ready for the next one, there, Zach? Yeah. So the next one is he walked among us. Uh, this was a script by Gene L. Coon and Norman Spinrad of Doomsday Machine fame, mm. and uh, it was submitted in the uh, in the second season, and. Uh, the, the producers actually uh, approached Spinrad with a task to write an episode uh, to be a vehicle for Milton Burley, who expressed an interest in appearing on Star Trek. Do you, do you, are you familiar with this actor? Do you, do you know who this is, Ken? Milton Burl, not Burley. 
Burl. See, there you go. Pronunciation. Pronunciation. So, clearly, so I don't Milton Burl is probably <laughs> was probably the uh, he, he he had Uncle Milty right was a famous famous show uh, in the fifties live show and many writers um, uh, worked on that that became very uh, Mel Brooks was was one of the key ones. Um, Sid Caesar, who did show of shows, worked very closely with Milton. Okay, Burr. I know, I know who both of those are. Okay. Yep. And so, uh, <laughs> and if you saw a picture of Milton Burrow, you'd know exactly who he is. I mean, he's he's been around forever. You know, had a, had a trademark cigar, tall guy, um, very very famous. And you know, he he was. Um, I'm using this term a lot lately, but he was iconic, and and especially right up through the. Uh, uh, the mid '80s, right? He he lived a long life, but he he's a, he was a very very famous comedian, and um, a, a very um, a, a a big presence, you know, for those 25, 30 years that that he was, um, you know, in in front of the spotlight. Cool. Well, yeah, it's always cool to to, to know people that wanted to be on Star Trek. You know, it's like a, it's one of those shows that like the Twilight Zone or Batman, right? But people, big stars, they wanted to be part of it. So that, that that's cool that he expressed yeah. an interest. It was like Eddie Murphy's popularity, right, in 1986 when they were talking about putting him in Star Trek Four. It was similar. You know, big big time comedian would have a lot of um, name recognition and would pull a lot of people in. There's no doubt you about see, it. You see, and and I I'm glad Eddie Murphy did not make. It into Star Trek Four because as we saw in the Superman movies, Richard Pryor made it into Superman Three, and we all know what happened there. But anyway, moving on, let's stay on topic. Uh, they also told uh, that something else that the producers told uh, Spinrad was there was a a village set available, like a tribal village, and told him to write the story in which it could be used. So I know we're always joking around about the you know well season two was the season of the alternate Earth, right? Like okay. Mm-hmm. We got a Nazi planet. We got a Roman planet. Basically, like they're going through the back lot. They're going through the st- uh, the, the, right. the prop department, the costume department. Like, what do we got? So this is literally that in action right here. Um, but the original uh, the original story by Springrad was about a primitive race called the Jugali, which I guess they thought, oh, it's a jungle tribe, so let's call them the Jugali. Uh, but they inex- inexplicably employed technology well beyond their capacity, and as a result of interference by a Federation sociologist. Uh, who only wanted to do good, but it, but it eventually resulted in terrible consequences. So, uh, speaking of the quote-unquote Nazi episode, uh, that does sound familiar. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happens in that episode. Kirk is, is faced with this this person, you know, breaking the Prime Directive and uh, kind of like Omega Glory, right? He's like, okay, well, this is a this is a big deal, you know. I mean, it's for all the for all the people that say Kirk's just rule breaker, like when he encounters other Federation people breaking the rules, he gets you know he gets really offended by it because this is this is a code that they live by. Um, but but the, the the crux here is like you know the society is so tightly woven itself uh, to to what the sociologist has, has set up. He set himself up as like you know the absolute ruler, the uh, a god figure, a fewer right as happens in uh, Patterns of Force. Uh, that that it's like, well, how do I, how do I remove this guy because what he did was wrong, but then not have the society fall apart. So I think that's that's interesting, and I and I do feel like is this 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 did become uh, patterns of force in a way. I think this might have been better because the whole the whole Nazi imagery makes a lot of people uncomfortable, and it does also. <laughs> It's it's like the most ridiculous idea ever. It's like, well, you know, Nazi Germany worked, but if we just take the hate out, you know, we might be able to. It's like Ugh. the trains ran on time. It's like, what what a terrible yeah. <laughs> sociologist! You're a Federation sociologist, man. What are you doing? Uh, but anyway, I, I I do find it interesting that uh, that we have a Federation sociologist that's in the classic TOS vein of 
here's our meteorologist and here's our historian and here's you know just the the random job of the week which i want to have an episode on sometime ken we need to make i'll make a list of all these random jobs that we could talk about them because it's always like oh who oh yes yeah, sir fill in the blank specialists will be beaming down with us and of course they're a big you know part of the story but anyway all that to say that's he walked <laughs> that's that's he walked among us last thing I'll, I'll say about this so we can get into it uh new voyages was actually going to make this into a fan film a few years ago uh but cbs asked them not to for whatever reason and people are like oh no is is that going to be the plot of the one of the new star trek movies like no i don't think so guys i, I think they might have just that was the early days of them flexing their copyright muscle back in the day so anyway that's that's he walked among us what are your thoughts ken it is so um disjointed that i can see why it, it got away from them if you look at the original got, got content, away from me talking about it <laughs> sure <laughs> did but you know first of all, if, if you look at the original kind of concept it's it's not it's somewhat original but we've seen it before right an outside influence has an impact and you know violates the prime directive <clears throat> you know because you have a sociologist who just wants to do good but you know there's all these terrible consequences that come across we've seen that um the difference here is they specifically say you know the person is a federation health food nut <laughs> who takes <laughs> over the planet well what does that have to do with anything right and then um, you know, and then sets himself up as a god. So they, 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 they had a nice little tight little concept that, that could have been, you know, um, really, I guess, flushed out a lot more. And, and it could have been a very interesting story because it's, it's, it happens all the time. It's, it's a Star Trek trope, you know, that, that these things occur. And, um, and so, you know, what, what direction would it have taken? Hopefully not a health food nut, taking over, you know, I, I mean, I don't know, what does he show up with, a TB12 method or something? And, you know, <laughs> that, go, that, I mean, that plant-based diet, man, it's an incredible thing. That's right, just just, uh, just eat avocado in this. But at, at any rate, um, it, 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 <laughs> there's a reason why sometimes when, when you step back, right, because I'm sure in our careers many times we start down a path and you start pulling in different elements. And before you know it, you've made it so complex or so disjointed, it just isn't going to fly. And usually it's somebody else who steps back, who can see it from a different point of view or maybe a higher level and comes back and says, uh, guys, you know, ladies, this is this is way out of control. And I think that's what happened here. They just came back and went, uh, no, <laughs> this is, <laughs> well, this it's, is it's horrible. Interesting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I'm glad you kind of cut through there because even I was having trouble trying to <laughs> summarize what, what this was all about. Gene Kuhn eventually stepped in. And rewrote it as a comedy because that was kind of his forte, you know, the, the height right. of season two, you know, uh, the the lightheartedness uh, Gene Kuhn infused into the show uh, still didn't work. And then, <laughs> then eventually Spinrad himself asked Roddenberry, and this is a direct quote, he said, quote, don't embarrass his show by shooting this piece of, well, fill in the blank, the colorful metaphor there, <laughs> end quote. Uh, so anyway, uh, the episode was not produced. They tried to resurrect it. And the third season, the, the Fred, Fred Freiberger, he had actually, and, and you know, the, the, good on Fred Freiberger. I know he gets a lot of flack, but, you know, season three, he looked at a lot of older scripts. So, you know, as we go through these episodes in this uh, sub-series here, we'll see that, like, yes, this was pitched in season one or two. Didn't work. Fred brought it back for season three, took another look at it, still didn't work, you know. It would have been something, I, I think it, it would have become one of those legendary Spock brains type of episodes. Well, you know, you, you, could have got, you need to go that way, right? You, do, yeah. you want it to be absurdly ridiculous but entertaining or like, oh, this is a really good episode, right? So that's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to pick a lane. 
If you're in the, if you're lukewarm, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. Star Trek episodes, so pick <laughs> hot or cold, man. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, they, they could have gone. You know, they really looking at this, like, taking a step back, and they could have gone all like heart of darkness with it, right? If if they really wanted to, you know, they go they go find this guy, that the Marlon Brando figure, right? You know, who, who set himself up in the society, like that'd be cool. But I I don't know, like uh, I, if they were rewrote it as a comedy, they they clearly didn't think that the drama angle would have worked with this episode and again you get you got interference you're writing it for an actor who wants to be on you got the studio telling you look these are the sets we need to use try to incorporate them like i you can see how all these factors ended up in this kind of jumbled mess that even the writer himself was like yeah don't 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 make this (laughs) so yep time to pull the shoot and jump baby or maybe jump (laughs) and pull the shoot one or the other but that would have been funny too if they pulled the shoot before they jump but anyway i I agree with you this is (laughs) this was funny to read and it's it's also kind of cool to see that you know um how how difficult it is to come up with a a concept right for an episode and then always hit a home run and you know i i think we we see that all the time in the older shows that had to had to do 24 to 26 episodes a year you're just gonna have a few that that don't execute or it just doesn't come off right or maybe in some cases where they're just drained and they stick with something they probably know deep down inside isn't going to fly. Like I said, I don't think anybody intentionally puts out a bad episode. And it's interesting too, too, because I think my, I hold the new discovery series at a much higher level because they're only doing 13 to 15 episodes a year. And to me, it's like, you're doing half of what other folks did. Um, It better execute. It better be well thought out. The effects ought to be flawless. And, you know, so far, for the most part, that's worked out. I'm just, you know, it's just a different mindset. It's like you don't have to be as creative as these other folks because you've just got 13 to do. Um, Mm -hmm. And and when you're trying to do as many as these guys and ladies were trying to do, it's hard. It is really hard to the point where, you know, in today's world, you you really don't see it unless they're like these – really bad and i mean really bad half hour comedy shows you know i i can't think i can't think of one show that's on today that's even remotely funny well even in the the hour-long dramas right on the broadcast tv because cable like it's like you know netflix yep. streaming service hulu it's like eight ten maybe 13 episodes right right uh discovery was supposed to be i think 10 or 13 originally they added a couple more episodes on to make it 15 right uh you go, you go to cable, it's usually around 15, but broadcast, right? Mm-hmm. Even those shows are like 22 episodes. That is four or five episodes less sometimes, because sometimes they're 21, 22. Right. What Star Trek was putting out, like Next Gen, like every season is 26, except for season two, right. which was shortened by a strike, right. which made it 22 episodes, which is the standard now for broadcast. But then you look back at TOS, they got like 30 episodes in like the first season. That's that's you look at you know, shows like the Twilight Zone, right? They got like 30 episodes a season. Right. So it's 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 crazy. Yeah, and it's you know that's the daily grind, and you get there, and that's why you know we, we it, it's always fun to, to look at. Oh look, they did the same story again. Well, yeah, because they're like, well, I don't know, guys. I'm out of ideas. This worked a couple years ago. No reruns weren't a thing. Home video wasn't a thing. You know, so like, okay, I, that was that was 1966. This is 1969. Nobody saw that episode. Do it again. So that's, yeah, that's why right. you get a lot of repeats <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, just a different approach. So, like I said, to me, it's it's kind of fun seeing the concepts that were that they came up with, and somebody smart enough to go no. But you know, still and all, there was a lot of creative elements to that. It just it just got out of hand. 
Now that that script exists out there somewhere. I know that people have either. Bought, I know the new Voyages guys bought it from Norman Spinrad himself, and I would be interested. To, is anybody read the script out there? I might I might keep an eye out for it at a convention or something, just to just to kind of see it in context. I don't know which form there were many drafts, so I'd be interested to see which draft exists out there. But uh, but this is a this is a story that I've heard a lot about. Like even the title's like he walked among us. It sounds very pretentious, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know I, when I, when I hear that title, I think of the creature walks among us. You ever see that? Yes. Horror movie. It's it's the third creature from the Black Lagoon movie, <laughs> where he turns into they they perform surgery. They turn him from a fish man into a land dweller, which is like very odd. But hey, at least they're doing something different. So anyway, that's my favorite Universal monster, by the way, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 a good creature, and you know, I guess if the mummy had taken off, we would have seen him again. So what are you gonna do? All right. So the next one we have is called the Lost Star. It's a common name, right? Uh, Lost Star is a recent, uh, 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 what is it? Uh, what do they say? Young adult novel for Star Wars? Anyway, I did read that. Anyway, I, and, and with Lucas in the title. How about that? Written by John Meredith Lucas. So there's a couple of Star Wars innuendos here. This was uh, Lucas's second uh, show that he wrote after The Changeling. Again, I, I, one I thought was a brilliant episode. Same. And this uh, this was really cleverly done, right? So the, the Enterprise... Um, uh, finds a solar system that is blocked, right? It's it's hidden by a, a force field, so no one can see it. And and the Enterprise penetrates the force field. It gets severely damaged. I wonder what they would have done with the model effects for that. Maybe a show of the uh, the constellation. Anyway, Kirk leads a landing party to a, a planet to find you know materials needed to to fix the ship. And they find these primitive humans living on the planet, but they're actually being kept as slaves. Um, called the old uh, by by a race called the old ones, so and these old ones are living in a more modern city. So Spock uh, finds the leader. Her name is Kolos or Kalos K O L L O S. That was uh, the name of the uh, Medusan, right? And yeah, no truth, no beauty. Yeah. Right? So she's she's training to become one of the leaders, and it's um, it's found that the old ones have perished long long ago. So there are no old ones anymore. They just have a big city, and they have this lady. Um, and this force field was created to just completely camouflage their solar system to prevent any of the um, the surviving natives from coming back and, and doing any kind of outside intervention. So only a few leaders are selected and are aware of the, these huge technological advancements they have kind of behind the curtain. So after Spock mind melds, this is interesting too with Kalos, and convinces her that the Enterprise is... Um, is is a you know it means no harm and the federation doesn't represent harm uh the ship gets fixed they're repaired and the ship is set free uh because she creates a tunnel in space through the force field and essentially it sounds like you know they're not going to tell anything they've heard about it right that they you know they want to make sure that that this this society remains secret but they do wonder if the uh if Carlos now will uh, change the world uh, or or be be killed by those who fear it. So very, very interesting plot line. There's a lot of things from TNG that bounce into huh. my head from this. Yes. But yes. it's um, you know, I, I thought this was this was this was a a pretty cool concept. Uh, however, you know, I guess the reason it didn't go anywhere was um, it didn't have a lot of excitement or emo- or you know, as they call the EI or the emotional involvement, that type of stuff. But uh, hard to say to me just reading this outline this concept this could have been um very fascinating 
pretty well done. And because we now have seen incarnations of this plot line in Bits and Bobs from, from TNG, I'm not saying those were the best episodes necessarily, but they weren't bad at all. This this could have flown, I think. Yeah, first of all, your summary game is on point, Ken, but uh, so well done. I, <laughs> of course, your, your two episodes you talked about were a little more straightforward than mine, so I'm just going to, in defense of myself, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a competition. Uh, oh, but it is. Uh, oh, but, I see. Uh, <laughs> okay, game on. Going no, down. You're, you're right. There's a lot of there's a lot of TNG elements here. Uh, when the bow breaks, start with the hidden planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, also clues where they they pass through that um, that uh, the wormhole and, and the the aliens wipe their mind, but but they can't wipe Data's mind. That's actually one of my favorite episodes. So I think about when they if it, you know talking about how they're going to keep this a secret and all that stuff to to not because these they're kind of xenophobic, right? The aliens they don't want anybody to know about them. Uh, using Spock to to communicate uh, with his mind meld is cool. Uh, I, this is they, they totally could have done this. You know, some of these episodes we'll get to down the road, we'll be like, oh, okay, I can see why they scrapped this because A, B, or C, right? Uh, the the main obstacle here was Stan Robertson, who was the uh, the guy from the NBC guy, basically to, to put it in layman's terms, that kind of was the go between for the studio and 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 uh, and the show. He rejected the outline and, and said that uh, though it was well written, it's lacking excitement, color, and emotional involvement. So it's interesting uh, reading a. Uh, Cushman's books, you know, these are the voyages. Stan Robertson comes up a lot, and right. he had, sometimes, like any, you know, it, it, I think it's very easy to point, like, oh man, the network, blah blah blah. Hey, sometimes the network actually has good ideas. You know, all art is collaborative, right? So sometimes they make some good notes, they make some changes. It turned out for the better. Sometimes not so much, and I feel like maybe they, I don't, maybe they kind of overstep their bounds here. I don't know. I haven't read the outline. I haven't seen it, right? But mm-hmm. uh, this sounds like a very interesting episode, and. Uh, I would have liked to see it as part two. Us, I think it would have fit in. I don't see anything that's like ridiculously out of place. I mean, we were, you know, we were kind of joking about he walks among us. It sounds kind of absurd, and they they couldn't crack it, you know. And Bandy would have been, you know, maybe tough to to show like a emotive, expressive creature, you know. And with the budget back then, maybe it would have been better in animated form. Who knows? This one, I I really see. I mean, other than like the city, but all you need is like a matte painting. Right, that's all you need, and then everything else is close-ups on, like you know, on the planet set or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I see no real thing that's like, oh well, the red flag to like, oh well, we, that, that this wouldn't have worked or or et cetera, et cetera. I think this would have been a really good episode of TOS from from what I'm reading here. Yeah, I, I think it would have been uh, interesting to shoot. I also think that um, the way Star Trek is set up, you know, we we like that pendulum swing from from action-oriented to more cerebral to sometimes more sociological. Whatever, you know, it's like flavor of the month with with Star Trek. And everybody has, you know, their different appreciations for episodes. You'll see if it touches on something that people get real excited if it's a social issue or if it's an action-oriented, people get real excited because they like to see, you know, the the Federation in action and and come up with clever ways to, to, to deal with certain situations. And so, you know, when you, when you read the feedback like that, um, there's a couple of things I think about. One, written in the 60s, here we go again. You know, it's the Cold War, it's Armageddon. You know, another society has wiped itself out because of, you know, a genocide of war and you have the aftermath. Very, very common, very Planet of the Apes-like. Um, you, you know, mm-hmm. this, is, this is 1960s, you know, almost... Um, you know, you could you could find the next movie or the next installment if it's a sci-fi, sci-fi episode of something that that kind of impacts that. But what I like about it is, you know, it's it's thought provoking, right? There's there's technology, um, you know, that that camouflages the planet. There's the um, 
I think it's very common, but I also think it's very important that the Federation, once again, can successfully um, convince people that we, you know, that the, we, <laughs> okay, that the Federation means no harm, right? And that it's, it's, it's a, it's a very positive and, and, you know, we're, our, our number one rule in law or whatever is non-interference. So, you know, when it's interfere, when we interfere, it's normally by accident or something along those lines. So I, I, I do think that this show could have been written and could have been produced it would have been interesting to see if it comes out as flat as um, you know they were predicting it to. Uh, I think that um, this one is another one that makes you think, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think you have to have that good mix in Star Trek. And you know, remember, Star Trek the original series was you know wagon train to the stars. That's what it was sold as. Uh, a lot of the other things that came up later uh, became the crux and the um, the foundation for. For all the uh, you know the, all the movies and Star Treks that followed, but while it was finding its way, these types of episodes would have helped define that culture, I think, uh, even more solidly. Because it's you know how do you how do you reinforce something by by um, the way you reinforce something is by constantly going over it again and demonstrating consistency, you know, in the model that you know we're good, we're good, we're good. Here's another instance where. You know, we're trying to we're trying to explore. We're trying to see what's out there. We didn't mean to to break through your 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 force field. We're in trouble. Help us, and we'll leave you alone. That type of thing. So it would have just been for me. I know I'm talking a lot. This would have been an episode I would have liked to have seen done. I, just because of Lucas's changeling alone, I'd love to see mm-hmm. what he came up with here. The, another thing that sticks out to me is uh, you, you mentioned all like proving to another race or society that we, hey, we're peaceful we come in peace right yeah uh, it, it's interesting uh, in a lot of episodes of, of the original series and uh, like when you have a, an alien like read the computer banks they're like oh my god you guys are terrible <laughs> you know uh, it's so if, if you just if you look at the cold hard facts right because who knows what other kind of societies uh, what what other things society, other societies have gone through to get to where they are right right uh, even like Deep Space Nine Quark's like when he's arguing with Cisco I love like you know the Ferengi. He's like, we never had stuff like slavery or this or that or this or that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it kind of shows that, like, yeah, we, you know, we, we, even though like uh, other races are all kind of in space with us, they didn't necessarily have to go through all the BS that we did to get to where we are. Uh, and if you just look at the cold hard facts, like you know, sometimes you know, I think even like, oh, gosh, it's like the cage, right? Like Telosians, like they read all the computer banks and they're like, oh my gosh, you guys are terrible. Like. <laughs> You're not suitable for our right. for our experiment anymore. So it's interesting when it's like, hey, look, yeah, all that stuff happened, but we grew past that, right? So we're fine now. So don't judge us by the stuff we did hundreds of years ago. So again, it's like just kind of proving yourself, and that's what that's what next gen, right? It ends up being about like this, you know, uh, never ending trial to prove themselves to the queue, right? That we're uh, you know worthy of being out there. So it's always like a proving, justifying your own existence and ability to. Uh, transverse the galaxy seems to be a common theme in Star Trek as well through communication. But another thing I did want to point out about this one was uh, the old ones come up, and that's something that's in all the Robert Block episodes. Uh, it's from Lovecraftian mythology. I don't know if this is a direct reference to those, or but much like you know some of the old ones in some of the other episodes, they, they kill themselves off. Uh, they all died off and left all this great technology and, and cities and stuff behind, so I think that's interesting. There's still a little thread throughout Star Trek there. Yeah. Uh, of that, and you know, you mentioned stuff like uh, Planet of the Apes. I guess I thought about uh, this made me think a little bit about the, the the time machine, at least the uh, 
1960 version of the time machine where there's like this giant city but there's like you know there's mm-hmm. the morlocks and there's the eloy and the eloy are like the slave race and you know et cetera, et cetera. so like you were saying that, that was a pretty prevalent theme in, in sci-fi at the time but lots of shades to that they could explore from the star trek lens and i yeah i really like john meredith lucas or like the changeling as well it's one of my favorite episodes of the original series so i, I definitely would like to see this one i think we're aligned my friend all right, order it up. Let's get let's get J Day and, and Tarantino to take a look at this. <laughs> that would you know that wouldn't be bad. Although the whole ship is damaged and they're stuck on a planet, they just did that and beyond. Uh, well, yeah, but it's not destroyed. And what know. do we always say, Kim? We want to see the ship do stuff in these movies. I yes, want... <laughs> yes. No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm just saying there's probably quite a bit of Tarantino dialogue in this one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> they can really start talking about things. So anyway, just conceptually, it would be interesting. I don't think it would make a very good movie, but it would have made a fun episode. Well, maybe Discovery can take this and turn it into something down the road. So that's <sighs> we got Star Trek going on right now. I, I wonder if they would ever look back at these super old scripts because, you know, they own them all. They're in the catalog there. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, how... how... That's very unlikely. <laughs> it would <laughs> it would be interesting, and, and there's probably people who who will know sooner rather than later. But when when season one wraps, you know how conceptually did they come up with this? You know why this timeline? Why all this stuff? Because it's really our timeline. Ten years is nothing, right? It's a blink of an eye mm-hmm. uh, in, in Star wink Trek. Of an eye. So yeah. So you know, let's let's get on the phone with Chris. We should be doing these shows. It's it's <laughs> they're in they're in our era. Hello, uh, you know, come on. I uh, I, I love what uh, what Nick Anastasio has called it pre OS. That's what I'm going to continue to pre OS. It. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, cool. But hey, if the, it's Discovery last ten seasons, um, then we definitely will be in our era, Ken. So I- yes, yes, there'll be a border <laughs> war. Anyway, so, um, when we're when we're doing the show ten years from now. Oh, oh can you imagine? Oh yeah, yeah. So today we're talking about uh, the buttons on Kirk's chair. <laughs> there are several buttons. Uh, sub episodes they ch- <laughs> You guys laugh. We're gonna get there sooner than you think. Right. <laughs> Which melted skittle does this remind you of? Oh, oh my boy. goodness! Yeah, it'd be fun. Well, yeah. So, so this, this is it's always fun talking about these what if concepts because you can just we do what fanboys do and just extrapolate and imagine and uh, and, that, and that's why we love this stuff because it fires up your imagination. Of course, I would have been interested in certain aspects of all three of these episodes, but definitely I think we both agree the Lost Star would have been the strongest one to, to build an actual episode from. Yeah, what, 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 what uh, lends credibility to all of this is these were concepts that came up from the writers at the time. And, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's not you and me saying, hey, what if we do this? What if we do that? Which <laughs> I'm sure would be extraordinarily entertaining for our listeners. But, uh, you know, when, when you're actually looking at things that... Um, you know, were written out by the writers at the time. You see the similarities, and you see the struggle with creativity in time, right? I mean, you've got a whole universe. This is the first Star Trek show, and and still, you know, they they, they still constantly hit on certain tropes and certain things. It's it's very very difficult, and it it just shows you, I think, from the the whole mosaic of all the different Star Treks or whatever, just how hard it is to continually come up with new ideas and new concepts, whether it's TNG, DS9, Voyager, Enterprise, and now Discovery. Give these guys a lot of credit. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it really is not easy. It's um, it's easy to criticize, as we know that. <laughs> you know, History of the World Part 1. Have you seen that movie? Yes. Yes, yes that very first scene, right? You know, art, <laughs> and then was born the critic. <laughs> so I, uh, I do appreciate looking at these things through... 
through through that um, that view of okay, in 1965, 66, and 67, when they were focused on on coming up with these concepts, uh, you know, how how original were they? How clever were they? And if you look at all of those episodes, all 79. You know, there's there is definitely some redundancy in the redundancy in there, but boy, what they did come up with was was phenomenal, even if they didn't execute well. Yeah, and this was a different time in writing. Right? They didn't have a quote unquote writers' room, right? Like they do now. Like you know, these later shows, like they might have a couple of scripts. Maybe they like, yeah, we we tried this one, it didn't really work out. Uh, but in you know TOS time, Roddenberry was like seeking out people submitting scripts, you know, sci-fi writers, whatnot. And and that's why there's so many of these lost concepts. Good for us. Good for conversation, right? This, this, right. But that's why there's so many of these lost concepts. And yeah, I, I 100% agree. That's why it's so fascinating to me. It's like it's like big archaeological discoveries. It's like oh, these almost Star Trek episodes is, is exciting. And uh, and that's why I wanted to bring up like who wrote these. Like, you get David Gerald, Gene Kuhn, Norman mm-hmm. Spinrad, John Meredith Lucas. All these guys wrote A plus episodes of the original series, and yet they're struggling to, to come up with a concept that the studio will buy and the show can translate and all this stuff. So it's not. The, the creative process is not an exact science, so there's a lot of trial and error, and and, uh, and there you have it. There you have it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed our discussion on what-if episodes, more lost episodes, basically. <laughs> we're going to continue this uh, We're gonna continue this lost episode sub-series here. Uh, Ken and I have a lot of fun talking about these. Hopefully you all do as well. As I mentioned, there are plenty more, so we're going to sprinkle these in throughout the year, and this isn't the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FN, though, this week. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Literary Treks. But let's start with that first one, that Siege in Superspace. So, oh boy. Superspace, I I don't know. Is this is this better than subspace? Is it? Well, I think is it this? is. I, the thing I, I really love about this issue is we haven't had uh, many stories at all about superspace. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Right, so okay, they're under orders they're not supposed to talk about, and that's how they—that's how you maintain the continuity that Kirk and Spock are surprised that there's a mirror universe. I mean, that works. That, that, that makes sense. But these people were there. They know that there's doppelgangers there, because they know that because Cadet Tilly became Captain Killy, right? They know, they know this. To the journey! There was a lot of face melting in this episode. You're right. <laughs> Everyone's melting. What a world! What a world! It was yeah, and everybody was slimy looking. Why were they so sweaty? Why? Seven of Nine had this full-on board queen look about her. She did, and who else was really sweaty looking besides Seven? Neelix was really sweaty looking. Yeah, well, yeah, I thought he was, and he had kind of a silver tone. He had the silver. He blood did. Coming like through. he was distinguished. Distinguished melting Neelix. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he got a buff and polish. <laughs> <laughs> the 602 Club. No, I I mean, it was really all we had was like animated shows. Like you had like the animated Batman series, the animated Superman series. And uh, as far as the big screen went, it was not so great. I mean, you had Blade. Blade was, some people cite Blade as kind of the precursor for the superhero genre picking back up, but... It was very much kind of a, a genre film. I don't. I know technically it is a comic book film. I don't know if I'd count it in the realm of like big budget superhero movies. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and a written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash TrekFM to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, so we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We also want to thank very, very much our, our esteemed associate producers, Norman C. Lau, Nicholas Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. So Norm, Nick, Tim, Richard, Corey, and Dan, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It means as much as we can, compl- can possibly tell you uh, the world to us that, that you've agreed to sign on and help keep Standard Orbit alive and well. Yes, thank you so much, guys. We really do appreciate all your contributions. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Standard Orbit. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trekfm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. As for us personally, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach, that's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. And I'm also the host of my own show called Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. What about you, Ken? Well, you can find me on Twitter as well at BostonSCPO, stands for at Boston Senior Chief Petty Officer. And I'm also on the Babel Conference whenever I can be engaging and trying to add, you know, a lot of good provocative suggestions to our other shows but anyway we look forward to seeing you on the babel conference and responding back and forth on this show as well all right well that's going to do it for us this week but stay tuned next time for another edition of standard orbit <laughs>